Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. So if you're into botanical method aquariums and botanicals in general, it's not much of a stretch to think about how the materials that we use can influence the aquatic environment that they're immersed in. I mean, that's the whole point, right? With greater emphasis on the origins of botanical materials being paid to, to the, by the community at large, it's kind of interesting to notice that a lot of the, the botanical materials that are very popular in our little segment of the hobby come from a single source, the palm. And nothing really screams tropical quite like a palm, right? Yeah, we think so. Now, there's over 2,600 species of palms identified. It's a diverse and wide-ranging group of perennial plants. And Hailing from the botanical family Aresaceae, palms may be climbers, shrubs, creepers, stemless plants, and the most widely known form, trees. And yes, as botanical method aquarium fans, we're most interested in the tree forms of the palm. Most palms hail from tropical climates, with only like 120-odd species coming from non-tropical environments. So yeah, they're pretty much the official plants of the tropics by almost anyone's definition, and crazy adaptable. The main requirement for their growth being essentially warm temperature, decent amounts of water, and unfiltered sunlight. There are a few families that we're particularly interested. The Mapoidiae, which contains just one species, Nipa, which offers a lot of interesting materials that we've come to know and love in the tannin selection over the years. Among them, the Nipa palm pod, the Nipa palm flower, and the mangrove palm pod. It's a sort of a variant of Nipa fruticans, which can grow in partially submerged brackish conditions. Hello, sounds kind of cool. These are botanicals we've offered here over the years. We'll probably offer some of them again. It's one of the few tropical botanical uh, materials that I'm pretty, pretty uh, solidly behind using in a lot of different aquariums. The other subfamily, Aracoidae, includes some of our other fabe tribes, Aracidae, Cariodae, and some well-known genera that we find in our botanical selection, such as Phoenix, Cocos, and Brassus, to name a few. Those names will remind, will come familiar to you when we talk about this a little further. The genus Cocos, where the Cocos nucifera, the cocoa or coconut palm hails from, contains a bunch of our favorite botanicals, botanicals like coconut palm bracts, which we will probably be carrying again real soon, and the cocoa curls, a very classic uh, sort of, although somewhat manufactured uh, botanical, it's a residual product, but it's cool. Uh, it's parts of Fundo Tropical uh, are palm or coconut based. And there's others. This genus has so many commercial uses, it's not even funny. They're very commonly commercially cultivated for their utility. Almost every part of the tree is usable, ranging from food to building material to aquarium use. You've probably heard of coconut carbon, which is derived from the coconut shell, which excels at removing organic impurities from the water. And then there's the genus Borassus, specifically a species called Borassus flabellifer, kind of a goofy sounding name, which is also known as the Tala or Palmera palm. And it's an extremely versatile and useful tree as well. 
we, for a long time, we were selling the husks known as Tala palm husks from this species. And they're pretty interesting and they're a long lasting material, which provides not only interesting look, but a good substrate for biofilms to grow upon and a direct food for some species of grazing fishes like plecos and for that matter, shrimp. From the species Caryota, or the uh, Caryota mitis to be exact, the fishtail palm. You've seen that. We have fishtail palm stems, one of our more popular botanicals, which, by the way, I have a shipment of on the way, finally. I, and this sounds like a commercial, but uh, it's kind of nice to see stuff coming through again. It's a very cool-looking botanical, which looks awesome scattered among leaves and other materials on the substrate of an aquarium. In general, palm materials are long-lasting, they're aesthetically interesting, and they provide a great environmental and biological support for our ecosystems. Now, interesting fact, palms have living cells that may be sustained throughout an individual palm's lifetime. And thus, it's argued by some scientists that palms may have some of the longest living cells of any organism. And of course, the fruit of the palms contains tannin, as well as flavonoids, catechins, carotenoids, and organic acids, making them potentially very biologically available for the health of our fishes. Now, that's a little bit of a stretch. Palms may produce chemical compounds via primary and secondary metabolism. Those secondary metabolites are, are compounds that play an important role in the plant's survival, providing a defense mechanism against predation by insects, herbivores, and microorganisms. Again, does the, this translate into value as a fish prophylactic of sort when we use them in our aquariums? Hmm. Now, it's that same kind of theoretical stretch that the hobby has made for generations about catopolis, for example. However, it's always thought-provoking to contemplate that these are scientifically verified properties that might might have some of the same health benefits for fishes as is often ascribed to catapa. It's interesting, at least, although incredibly anecdotal and absolutely unproven. The antimicrobial activity of the chemical compound found in the fronds of many palm species also raises a few eyebrows in our world. Again, it might be a stretch to think that a palm frond in your tank could prevent diseases. However, it's interesting to contemplate the possible benefits that could be derived from their use when submerged. Like I said, it's important to contemplate. At the very least, uh, the much-loved pygmy date palms from the plant known as Phoenix robiliani. Well, actually, let me, let me repronounce that. I'm trying to remember. It's, it's Phoenix robilinii. I don't know why I said Robiliani. Um, anyway, Phoenix Robilinii. I like you're going to really want to know this, but it's important. You know, it's a really beautiful, functionally aesthetic accent for a botanical method aquarium. We've used these interesting palm fronds in our own aquariums for years, and they became quite a popular product. Um, they last a really decent length of time when submerged and provide a very unique tropical kind of look. Yes, there is power from the palms, and be it power to provide a unique type of aesthetic, a useful substrate which other life forms could grow on, uh, find shelter and reproduce, or to provide supplemental food sources. And that's a, there's a possibility that they might, might offer some health benefits that are often attributed to other botanical materials. In this end, the ultimate power of palms just might be their ability to inspire, excite, and motivate us to push the boundaries in aquarium keeping, to search for potential new breakthroughs and challenges. And time will tell what we learn from them. And I think my friend Ty Streitman who you're familiar with, Ty's about to release a really incredible book um, pretty soon with George Farmer, I believe, uh, that's going to be coming out in, it's the, I believe it's called Aquatic Biotopes. Forgive me, Ty, if I forgot the name. It's been a while since I've looked it up. But uh, Ty turned me on to, um, to using palms back in, I think it was 2017. He said, yeah, you should use palm, palm fronds. Um, I've been using them for years in my tanks, and I just, it just never occurred to me that these would be great materials to use. And thanks to Ty, they've become very, very popular. So it's pretty cool. 
And the other thing is they're really appropriate for certain habitats. One of my favorite parts of the, of the hobby in general, as you know, is learning about different aquatic habitats and considering the ecology and the fishes which reside in them. And this, of course, gave me a lot of inspiration for new aquarium executions. And that's what helps keep this hobby so amazing. Now, we're getting back to the palm here a little bit, but I'm totally fascinated by the floodplain rivers and the wetland complex from where many of our fishes come from. And most of these habitats are subject to extreme seasonal flooding. You know, I'm into that, right? Large river channels possess well-developed fringing floodplain systems, such as the internal delta, which is located at the confluence of the Apure and the Orinoco rivers in South America. Now, there's an interesting structure called a Morishal. And Morishal is a lowland stream found in the savanna areas of South America, the Amazon River Basin, the upper Rio Negro drainage in Brazil, the Orinoco River Basin, and the, along the Orinoco River in Colombia and Venezuela, among other places. This habitat is dominated by a certain type of palm tree, the Morishe palm, which is Morisha flexuosa, excuse me, and lots of riparian vegetation. So this palm only grows where its roots can be underwater, love that, and typically is found in groups, hence the term Morishal, which refers to a group of them. And these are surprisingly densely populated fish habitats. Morishals are characterized as having what ecologists call high structural complexity. The two types of Morishal habitats are flooded vegetated areas and sandbanks. Now, the flooded vegetated areas are dominated by stands of the aforementioned Morishe palm, having up to 90% of the substrate covered and consisting largely of woody debris derived from the riparian vegetation, mostly the palms, as well as terrestrial grasses and leaf litter. Ooh, that sounds interesting, right? These habitats have a very moderate or slow current and a very shallow depth, typically three meters uh, or three feet or one meter or less so it's real shallow sandbanks in the morishal are defined as sandy beaches off the channels main channels anyway composed of uh, coarse sand and substrate uh, sand substrate with the depth of around three feet morishals are considered very um, very important systems for the maintenance of you know, freshwater neotropical fauna in those lowland savannas that they're found in. The, the monodominant stands of this palm and the associated growths provide a very important food to a great number of species. Now, although typically supplied with underground water sources throughout the year, these streams would, you know, swell with water during periods of seasonal flooding. Uh, riparian vegetation and sandy substrates are all over the place. And when you have trees, vegetation, and a seasonal influx of water, Utilizing botanicals in your aquarium replication of this habitat is just, you know, par for the course, isn't it? That's where the palms come in. The habitat itself, as I just mentioned, is an abundance of debris, leaves, macroalgae, fallen branches, palm fronds, and a matrix of roots and stuff like that. And with terrestrial plants growing right up to the water's edge, the possibilities to create a cool aquatic display are virtually unlimited. With a little creativity, one can simulate the growth of the riparian vegetation in the Morishal. Now, the flooded vegetation habitats along most Morishals are really important to fish fauna, composed largely of small-bodied cichlids, kerosens, pencilfish, and some catfish. The sand patches tend to have slightly less species richness, and the population density is less than those found in the vegetated areas. Makes sense that the vegetated areas are more populous, right? I mean, those littoral habitats, which contain woody debris and leaf litter, are known by ecologists to support higher primary and secondary productivity. Basically what that means is that it provides fishes with more foraging opportunities on a larger variety of substrates. Again, it's a case of the fishes following the food, an idea we've discussed many, many times here. In fact, 
In a study I found on Morishal Habitat by authors uh, Carmen Montana, Craig Lyman, and Donald Taphorn, the distribution of fishes among the two major Morishal habitats was explained as follows. And I'll just read you the quote here. They say, in vegetative patches, we found a relatively high abundance of small cichlids and dorated catfish with different body shapes and feeding habits. Example, Epistogramma hoignai, Physophyxix annex, but small omnivorous carasoids with less diversified body morphologies, carasidae, such as tetris of the genus Monghausia, and hemigrammas dominated open and shallow beaches. Interesting, right? And this little tidbit from the study is quite interesting too. Although we did not evaluate communities of small invertebrates in this study, it was apparent that the vegetated patches contained a high abundance of shrimps and other macroinvertebrates. Yeah, shrimp. Oh, and aquatic plants too. It's not uncommon to find large stands of Iliocaris in shallow areas. In deeper water, several species of Ludwigia are found in significant density, and in the shallows, you'll often find simple filament algae. Another quite cool aquatic plant that you'll find in these habitats is the much-loved, yet challenging to many, Tonina fluviatalis, which grows in dense stands within these shallow, acidic, slow-moving Morishal habitats. Although the waters in these habitats are largely clear, as in not turbid, some are stained with tannins or typically are acidic, pH of 6.0 or less. And they have a significant amount of roots and stuff like that from the terrestrial and riparian vegetation surrounding it. You'll find lots of palm leaves, fruits, and seed pods submerged on the substrate in the Morishal. And of course, that's where we come in, right? Scattering botanicals along the bottom of the aquarium would create a pretty damn good rep you know, representation of this environment. I would probably not go too crazy in terms of variety. Rather, I'd limit myself to just a few botanicals and just sort of do it up that way to emphasize the abundance of several dominating terrestrial plant species in the locale. What about those fishes, Scott? Oh, yes. Let me get back to you on that. The, these environments often contain dozens of different spe species in relatively small areas. That's what's so interesting, including kerosens, catfishes, dwarf cichlids, and unusual kerosens like hemiodus. Hemiodus. I always mispronounce those. Hemiodus. Uh, those are often found in these habitats. Those are interesting fishes. They're kind of skittish but uh, and a little bit larger. Occasionally available in the aquarium trade, they'd make really cool stars for a, a specialized display like this. And of course, the beautiful green neon tetra, Paracaridon simulans, a familiar to many of us, is known and super sexy to, and it's a super sexy fish, is known to live in this habitat as well. Oh, and the dwarf pike cichlids are often found in Morishal habitats. Hello, dwarf pike cichlids, cool, right? Of course, some of the more popular kerosens, such as pencil fishes, um, specifically Nanostomus unifasciatus, uh, are found there. And Epistogramma, along with the beloved Mezonata insignis, they're found in these Morishal. So cichlids are found there too, which will lend a familiar, if not somewhat exotic, look to a display that you put together. As a subject for a riparian study, the Morishal environment really presents a near-perfect opportunity to stretch your aquatic creativity while highlighting some well-known fishes in an unusual and not often replicated niche. Think of the creative possibilities here. The Morishal is sim you know, symbolic of where we are in the aquarium hobby at a real high point where it's entirely possible to recreate very realistic, functionally aesthetic aquatic displays using natural materials to mimic the look and feel of the aquatic habitats of the world, while simultaneously learning about these priceless natural treasures. And it all helps with palms. With so much to, it all starts with palms, excuse me, with, with so much to learn from this and so much to explore in the natural world and so many habitats or aspects of them to replicate in the aquarium. It just makes sense that 
utilizing an interesting botanical like a palm can be sort of the unlock to an entirely new world for you, an entirely new educational experience. I love this kind of stuff. And something like the looking at the Morishal environment, thanks for our friend the palm, gives us an opportunity to get out of our comfort zone, study the form and function of them, and create just great work. It'd be really fun to see what kind of representations our community can continue to push out to the world. In the meantime, we're going to keep studying them, admiring them, and treasuring them. But let's keep pushing. Stay creative. Stay studious. Stay bold. Stay excited. Stay thoughtful. Stay educated. Stay inspired. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.